Welcome to the Think Like an Innovator podcast. I am Paul Sloan, and in each episode, I tell you the stories of great thinkers, leaders, and innovators. We explore what motivated them and the approaches they used. We do this in order to draw out some inspiration and lessons that we can profit from. The stories are based on my book, Think Like an Innovator, published by Pearson. In this episode of the podcast, we examine the work of two inventors. One was prolific in producing a large number of different inventions. He was Sir Hiram Maxim. The other was the master clockmaker, John Harrison, who focused his whole life on solving one particular problem. He was also the winner of the world's first great crowdsourced competition. When Hiram Maxim went pigeon shooting, he noticed two problems. One was the strong recoil of the rifle into his shoulder. The second was that he had to stop to reload the gun. He wondered if it was possible to use one problem to solve the other. He did so and invented the machine gun. The force from the recoil of a bullet was used to load the next bullet, close the breech and compress a spring. The gun was then ready for its next shot. Sir Hiram Maxim was born in Maine in the USA in 1840. At 14 he became an apprentice coach builder. Subsequently he worked in a machine shop and then as an instrument maker and a draftsman. He became a prolific inventor. He gained patents on mechanical devices such as a pocket menthol inhaler, a mousetrap, hair curling irons and steam pumps. He experimented with powered flight, but his large aircraft designs were failures. He did, however, create a highly successful amusement ride, the captive flying machine. When a furniture factory burned down, Maxim was asked how to stop similar fires. In response, he invented the first automatic fire sprinkler. It could soak the burning area with water and report the event to the fire station. He was responsible for installing the first electric lights in a New York City building, and he even disputed Thomas Edison's claim to the invention of the light bulb, based on his own discoveries. He invented the machine gun in 1884. His company, the Maxim Gun Company, became part of Vickers Limited, of which he became a director. The Vickers machine gun was the standard issue weapon in the British Army during the First World War. In 1900 he became a British subject and was knighted by King Edward VII. He died in London in 1916. At that time, he was the holder of 122 US patents and 149 British patents. Insights for innovators. Look for the solution inside the problem. Sometimes there is an effective and economic solution waiting to be found inside the problem. Maxim used one problem of the rifle, the powerful recoil, to solve the other problem, how to load the next bullet. Before you look outside for solutions, See if any of the local resources can be utilised. The more things you invent, the better your chance of a winner. Many of Maxim's inventions did not succeed, for example his aircraft. However, some did, and the machine gun changed warfare completely. 
His dogged devotion to invention compares to that of his contemporary and rival, Thomas Edison. Persistence pays. Incidentally, did you know you can see the only original version of Hiram Maxim's flying machine amusement ride, which is still in use, at the Pleasure Beach in Blackpool in the north of England. It was built in 1904. On the 22nd of October 1707, a fleet of the Royal Navy under the command of Admiral Sir Cloudsley Shovel encountered severe weather near the Scilly Isles off the southwest coast of England. Four ships ran aground and were wrecked with the loss of 1,400 sailors, including Shovel himself. The main cause of the disaster was the inability of the seamen to calculate their positions accurately. In those days, navigators had great difficulty in ascertaining their longitude, how far east or west they were. The Scilly naval disaster was one of the worst catastrophes at sea and caused much consternation in Britain. So much so that in 1714 the British Parliament passed the Longitude Act, offering a series of rewards of up to £20,000 for anyone who could find a simple, precise and practical way of determining a ship's longitude. It was the first example of a major public crowdsourced competition, and the prize was huge by the standards of the day, equivalent to about £3 million or $3.5 million in today's money. John Harrison was a self-educated carpenter and clockmaker from Yorkshire who dedicated his life to solving the longitude problem. He was born near Wakefield in 1693, the son of a carpenter. As a boy, he was always fascinated by clocks and he built his first long case clock at the age of 20. As befits a carpenter, it was made almost entirely of wood. Over the next decades, he introduced several significant innovations in clock design, so that by the late 1720s, Harrison and his brother James were making the most accurate clocks in the world. His innovations included the gridiron pendulum, made of brass and iron rods, in order to eliminate thermal expansion, and the grasshopper escapement, a brilliant invention to control the release of the clock's power. Unlike other clocks of the day, his were designed to be practically frictionless, and required no lubricants. Longitude is the measure of the location of a place on Earth, east or west, of a north-south line such as the Prime Meridian, which runs through Greenwich in London. It ranges up to 180 degrees eastward and 180 degrees westward. There were two main approaches to the problem of establishing exact longitude at sea. One was based on astronomical observations and lunar distances, but these were difficult and did not give enough precision. The other approach was based on timekeeping. For each 15 degrees west you sail, the day starts and ends one hour later. So if you measure noon from the position of the sun where you are and know the time and the place you left, then you can calculate exactly how far east or west you have travelled. The problem was how to produce a clock that was not affected by the motion of the ship or the changes in temperature, pressure and humidity on the journey. These variables had defeated many fine clockmakers. Sir Isaac Newton was amongst many who thought that a sufficiently accurate clock could not be built. In 1730, Harrison moved to London and started the design of a marine clock to compete for the Longitude Prize. He spent time networking and raising finance. He recruited some powerful allies, including Edmund Halley, the Astronomer Royal, and George Graham, 
the country's leading clockmaker. It took Harrison five years to build his first sea clock, H1, as it is now known. He showed it to members of the influential Royal Society of Sciences, who helped him to present it to the Board of Longitude, the body authorised to award the prize. They were impressed and asked for a sea trial. This took place in 1736 on a voyage from London to Lisbon and back. The clock lost time on the outward voyage, but proved very accurate on the return trip. The Board of Longitude was impressed and granted Harrison £500 for further development. He started the design of a second sea clock. In 1741, after three years of development, it was ready for a sea trial. But by then, Britain was at war with Spain and the invention was considered too important to risk capture by the Spanish. In any event, Harrison was dissatisfied with the design of H2 and used the hiatus to start work on a new clock, H3. He spent a further 17 years trying to perfect this clock, but despite incorporating many ingenious new features, he was unable to get it to perform with complete accuracy in a maritime environment. Eventually he reached the conclusion that a watch design would be superior in performance and practicality. His insight was that a watch with a smaller balance than a clock could oscillate at a higher frequency and give greater accuracy. In 1759, with the help of some of London's finest craftsmen, Harrison built his masterpiece. The world's first truly accurate marine watch, now known as H4. It was a complex and highly novel design. He demonstrated how it could be used to calculate longitude. Harrison was 68 years old when the watch was sent on transatlantic trial in 1761. It lost just five seconds in 81 days on the outward journey to Jamaica. Everyone expected the prize to be awarded, but the board considered the result might have been down to luck and demanded another trial. Harrison, his family and supporters were outraged, but the second trial went ahead, this time to Barbados and once again the watch proved accurate, losing just 37 seconds. Again his opponents on the board attributed the results to luck and refused to pay out. The matter was raised in Parliament which offered Harrison £10,000 in compensation. Harrison requested an audience with King George III, who took his side. The King's own tests showed that Harrison's watch was accurate to within one third of a second per day. Eventually, when he was 80 years old and following pressure from the king, Parliament granted him a further £8,750. But neither he nor anyone else ever received the full longitude prize. He died on his 83rd birthday on the 24th of March, 1776. Harrison's marine chronometer was widely adopted in the years that followed. Captain Cook depended on it when mapping his discovery of Australia and the Pacific Islands. Thoughts for innovators persist. Harrison showed enormous tenacity and determination in pursuit of his goal. Despite many setbacks and injustices, he kept focusing on refining and improving his designs and their manufacture. He dedicated his life to solving the longitude problem, and he succeeded. There's an old saying, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Use your contacts. Harrison made use of his networks, collaborators and important contacts to raise finance and gain influence. He lobbied the King of England to gain his support. He could not have achieved what he did by working as a lone inventor. Who can help you make your invention a commercial success? Be prepared for a complete redesign. Harrison switched from a large clock to a smaller watch. 
His redesign improved performance and usability. Even if you have put tremendous effort into your design, you may have to rethink and start over again. These podcasts are based on chapters in the book Think Like an Innovator by Paul Sloan, published by Pearson. And if you like listening to podcasts, you'll almost certainly like audio courses such as those on Listenable. Listenable.io contains many great audio courses, including some of mine, such as Develop Your Lateral Thinking. I'm sure that you will enjoy it.